You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hello and welcome to Security Unlocked, a new podcast from Microsoft where we unlock insights from the latest in news and research from across Microsoft's security engineering and operations teams. I'm Nick Fillingham. And I'm Natalia Gadilla. In each episode, we'll discuss the latest stories from Microsoft security, deep dive into the newest threat intel, research, and data science. And profile some of the fascinating people working on artificial intelligence in Microsoft security. And now, let's unlock the pod. Hello, Natalia. Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode 32 of Security Unlocked. Natalia, how are you? I'm doing great, Nick, and, and welcome everyone to another episode. Who do we have on the show today? Today, we have Hiram Anderson, Dr. Hiram Anderson, who is a, the principal architect of the Trustworthy Machine Learning Group here at Microsoft. We have been trying to get Hiram on the podcast for a long time, and eagle-eyed, eagle-eared, eagle, eagle-eared, that's a thing. I made it up. We're going to use it. Um, <laughs> listeners will have actually heard Hiram's name a bunch of times, as well as a lot of the work that Hiram has been pioneering. Hiram is really one of the leading voices uh, here at Microsoft in this brand new space that is really just sort of being defined now around uh, adversarial machine learning and protecting AI systems. And so it's fantastic to get a chance to get Hiram on the podcast and hear about Hiram's journey into security, into machine learning, into AI, and then uh, finding his way to Microsoft. Yeah, so Hiram, as you said, is a leading voice in this area. And I think he said it really well when he framed the the challenge here that an attacker has to be right once and a defender has to be right 100% of the time. And that perspective is what drives him to be proactive about researching adversarial machine learning, knowing that the attacker community is aware that they can use machine learning and they'll leverage it when it becomes the right technique for them. So we as organizations and and defenders listening to this podcast have to start thinking about it early. We just don't have the luxury to not be prepared. I also love that a lot of the work that Hiram does uh, ends up getting publicized and made public through research, through GitHub. If you listen to last week's episode with Will Pierce, Will is actually on Hiram's team. And a lot of the, a lot of the work that a lot of the, the sort of research and, and think tank work that Hiram and folks do is not just being sort of absorbed into Microsoft products and services. It's being put out there for the community, for the public, for researchers, for security professionals to really help push the industry forward. So a great conversation. I think you'll really enjoy it. I think with that, on with the pod. On with the pod. Hello, Hiram Anderson, Principal Architect of the Azure Trustworthy ML Group. Welcome to the show today. Thank you, Natalia. Nice to be here. Well, we're definitely glad to have you. It'd be great to start by understanding who you are and what your role is at Microsoft. What does your day-to-day look like? Well, my role as Principal Architect really means that I code a little and I talk externally a little, and I'm stuck in that awkward middle. Now, that's, what it, that's what it really means. But it's a really fun role. I joined Microsoft to join a startup inside Microsoft to really address the question, how do we secure AI systems? You know, think about AI systems as a special case, but it is. There, there is a special case that should be considered in the context of larger security 
And our little startup inside Microsoft is to address them. So that's why I joined Microsoft. And that's the title I got. And I'm happy with it. (laughs) And is this something that you've been working on for some time, understanding the impact of AI systems? Or is this a new endeavor you're taking on at Microsoft? Well, I want to just note that this whole idea of adversarial machine learning has been around a long time, way before me. I'm not a founding father in any sense of all the brilliant work that's come since the mid-2000s in exploiting weaknesses in AI systems. But, you know, five or six years ago, I became actively involved in this, especially as it relates to how does an attacker who wants to evade your anti-malware model if he knew it was an AI system, what could he do special about that to make his job easier? So that's where I came into the game. How do I think like an attacker to get around security controls that are implemented as AI systems? And from that time, I think that's that's where some of my work came to be known. At I spoke at Black Hat and DEF CON and things. And, and then um, that work kind of built and finally uh, has culminated in a new way of thinking at Microsoft, how do we do this here at Microsoft? And what, what would it look like for both us as Microsoft, you know, first party securing our own, as well as what could it look like for our customers so that everybody who deploys machine learning can do it safely and securely? Hiram, we've spoke with some of your, your colleagues on the podcast before. Could you sort of expand a little bit upon the I think you've talked about the mission of trustworthy machine learning at Microsoft, but some of the different roles that are involved. You know, how do you work with with Ram? If you do, how do you work with folks like uh, Sharon Shah? How do you work with Andrew Marshall, uh, the other folks at Microsoft thinking about adversarial machine learning and protecting AI systems? Our vision is that you should be able to build your machine learning model anywhere and we can help you to manage the risk, any risk associated with that. That's the vision. And there's a lot of risk associated with machine learning. It starts from simple things like, how do I know that my translation service is accurate and works for every language that, you know, those are risks. There's also risk about ethics and fairness. Does face detection work better for some and not for others? And this final piece of risk is security. And that's how we're focused. So this final piece of risk is if there's somebody trying to deliberately cause my system or company or business harm, am I able to manage that risk? That's where the Azure Trustworthy Machine Learning Team has come into play here is managing that third piece, working across Microsoft to manage those other pieces. ROM has been a internal champion for this effort since several years before I joined. We've had a professional relationship for several years and I've known him and he was instrumental in in, uh, telling me about the cool efforts he wanted to get started here. So he has led this effort and I joined to help him co-lead this effort uh, about a year and a half ago. So Andrew Pavard, for example, we work with, uh, we try to stay abreast of relevant attacks and defenses in MSR Andrew Power does a really good job of straddling the line between MSR and applied security. And it's a great resource for us. Our team actually has these two interesting parts. One is, how do we go about Microsoft to assess the security of our existing systems? So we have a red team. We have an AI red team that 
kind of goes around and does that. And the second part is how do we address, you know, how do we take those lessons learned and, and um, implement defensive tooling both at Microsoft and for our partners? That's the second piece. And as part of the, the learnings that we have from our red team, we also work with uh, the great folks like Andrew Marshall in the Ether Committee to help us reach all the corners of Microsoft for defensive guidance. Andrew and team conduct assessments and risk assessments of AI systems, and we, we try to, to make a one Microsoft effort in uh, making sure that we have a common voice in how we address risk mitigation. Thank you for that explanation. That was fantastic. And in fact, uh, we just recently interviewed uh, Will Pierce, the uh, AI Red Team lead, days ago. Will is a treasure. Will is a treasure, and I if if you haven't listened to Will's podcast, I have not, but I I want to listen to it. He is a really interesting individual. Yeah, and we talked we actually talked quite a bit about Counterfeit, which is the the tool that he sort of built for himself, and then it spun up into a, a GitHub project that's been released into the wild. And that was a fascinating conversation. I would love for you to walk us through your journey as far back as you want to go into security, into machine learning, and and sort of eventually to Microsoft. When did this start? Were you into you into Legos? Were you into pulling apart radios? Did you build your first computer when you were three? Like what? How did this passion and this career start for you? Oh wow, that's that's a great question. I, I want to just first from but before I tell stories, I want to say that I am a relative newcomer to security, and the more I learn from real security people, the more I realize I, what I don't know about security. So I, I would consider myself as a an engineer, a researcher who has applied his craft to security. And I'm really appreciative of, of members of my team who are teaching me all the time about uh, new ways. That said, <laughs> that said, I just have a, sto- a great memory I want to share with you of when I was in middle school, early high school, maybe. I come from a big family and everybody's a nerd. Like I, I had brothers <laughs> who were coding at Commodore 64 that you used to get like these magazines and if you were too cheap to buy a game, you could actually, you could actually like copy from the magazine yeah, and photocopy the pages like, and code it in. Yeah. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. So th- this is how I got my start of computers. I was actually just watching my much more patient older brothers do this. And they'd also code in Pascal and basic at the time. And so I, I got involved, but the security angle, so that the programming started early for me, but the, the, a really fun security angle is um, my my awesome parents and their big family is t- to help us to focus on the right time. They had they had a BIOS password, right? Oh wow! So the BIOS password did, did not allow, and this was like Windows three point one or something. It, it didn't yeah. allow us to to log in without the password. So we crafted a way to get around this. It included everything <laughs> from so they didn't apparently have regard for either physical or cybersecurity controls, and we exploited this weakness. This is Windows 3.1. <laughs> yeah. No, it okay, was much simpler. One was um, we taped a mirror to the ceiling, nice. and then we would tell my dad that it was time we needed to do homework on the family computer, and we would try to watch in the mirror what the BIOS password was. That didn't work so well because we're not good at like, the <laughs> reversing the mirror image. We also tried to put sticky glue on the keyboard so we could figure out what like what the most common keys were and do kind of cryptographic cryptographic to a middle schooler, right? What were the most <laughs> common keys? Could we figure out what words were involved in the password? 
Finally, my brothers and I, we found a BIOS book and we realized that the keystrokes were logged even after boot. And we inserted a little utility into the autoexec.bat file. If, if this is bringing you back in history, walk with me. Enjoy this time. Please, <laughs> please keep going. I'm, I'm, I'm having visceral <laughs> memories here of my Osborne 386SX. Keep going. We, we could make this little tool that would read the last characters typed in the BIOS buffer and dump it to disk. That was our, that was our, our final. So anyway, this, this sort of like rudimentary hacking process was my first introduction to computer security. I went on to be an engineer in, in uh, signal processing and a machine learning, got my PhD at the University of Washington and, and did a bachelor's and master's degree at BYU. Actually did not do anything in computer security, but I did work, I was a researcher at the National Labs in security, kind of with a big S, you know, situational awareness for defense industry, things like that. That kind of helped me appreciate what I think so many people in security just get. And it's this sense of mission and purpose that I don't know that there's a better replacement for getting up to work every day than a sense of mission and purpose. And it's something I have sought at every career hence, right? Like if, if that's missing, I'm not really having a good time. When I eventually left the National Labs, I started on a data science team at this company called Mandiant, who had just released a, a big report. And they were Honestly, my, my job, Jamie Butler, if you're listening, I remember Jamie say, saying that, um, like, we don't really know what to do with you. We just think data <laughs> science can be cool here. And so we're going to, yeah, we're trying to build up the team and we're just going to kind of figure it out as we go. So there's no purpose. But that was really fortunate for me because, you know, this was in the days when uh, data science, machine learning, they're still kind of oil and water. But back then it was like very much a new kind of endeavor and gave me some early exposure to lots of failed attempts and some, some early wins in that. So from then I've, I've been a data scientist for security. Then, you know, Mandiant became FireEye and then I went to Endgame and uh, worked with an excellent team at Endgame. I eventually uh, was the chief scientist at Endgame was acquired by Elastic. Elastic's a fantastic company. This opportunity at Microsoft Rom said, Hiram, come to Microsoft. There's a startup here, security machine learning. And here I am. That's my history. And what are you working on now at Microsoft? Well, we do a number of things. So the, the team I lead includes the red team and the defensive side. And we are really busy on both fronts. <laughs> so the red team work that happens now is much more sophisticated than when I started. And I was the red team. You know, that was really... The, when, when I started at Microsoft and we did one uh, red team engagement that has parts of which have been publicly disclosed, that was really Hiram, the machine learning person, going for a ride with the Azure red team and saying like, hey, if you can find something that looks like this, it's probably a machine learning model. Let's go find it. And these really, really smart people, Kathy and Susie, were able to find those things. And then I could tinker on the, this model, break it essentially, and they could complete the, the op. So it was very much, I was a kind of a one trick pony 
in a, what I consider a really high quality Azure red teaming experience that we could affect some big change. Now our red team is, I think, much more robust uh, with Will Pierce, who you've interviewed. Now he's actually an ops person who gets ML. He gets both sides of the coin. And he'll go in now and do the whole engagement like himself, right? So that keeps us really busy on, on a day-to-day basis. We partner with both first and third-party teams in assessing if your machine learning could be vulnerable to some kind of violation that would cause your business pain. And there are lots of them. And nobody knows better than the team itself what the worst nightmare scenario would be. And we try to work with them to say, okay, that's the nightmare. Let's try to make it happen. And so we, we try to be, take on that uh, attacker persona and then we, we work with them to try to uh, tell them how we did it, recommendations to plug it. Harm, it feels like we're better at poking AI systems and finding holes and finding flaws then perhaps we are at protecting them. Is that sort of where we're at in, in this, sort of, this sort of new journey in understanding how to go and secure AI? Are we now, are we sort of at the stage where we're working out how to break in, we're working out how to go and poke holes, but we, we maybe haven't quite got the sort of ratified tools or processes in place to, to, to strengthen them? Or am I just missing another, you know, that other side of the coin? You're exactly right. But I guess I would also ask, like, isn't this always the case that machine learning or not, it's kind of always easier to be an attacker than a defender because of the asymmetry involved? An attacker has to be right once. A defender has to be right 100% of the time. Those kind of things. The added wrinkle for machine learning, I think, is that whereas in like an information security system, you can patch a vulnerability In an AI system, what it means to patch is a really gnarly issue. There are ways proposed to do it in academia and research. They're really cool, and some of them work well in in some cases, but there are issues. When do you expect attackers will start regularly using this technique? When should organizations be prepared to actively be red teaming and build a program around it? And on the other end, when will we have the resources to build fully-fledged programs and understand adversarial machine learning? Well, first, I want to make sure that we are talking about the, the difference between a risk and a threat, okay? So the risk is here and it's everywhere, right? And it can be exploited, and that's, that's our job and, and the red team side of my team. That's what we do, Right. The threat exists in niche areas and those niche areas often don't actually care that it's machine learning they're attacking, right? There's nothing special. So example, content moderation. It uses machine learning to determine if the content you're posting on LinkedIn, or I'm making this up, whatever platform is appropriate to to be seen by others. And nefarious people or whatever, for whatever motivation, they they want to get content up there and they find ways to obfuscate it, right? So that's a, that, that is an adversary attacking a machine learning model. Probably the adversary in that case doesn't even know, but the adversary is finding blind spots or design oversights in that system. The same exists in fraud. The same exists in security. 
So there are adversaries, whether they know it or not, who are attacking machine learning systems. What they aren't doing today are using these sophisticated algorithmic kind of fuzzing-like procedures to attack. That's what we have not seen widely used. We've seen that a lot in sort of research laboratories. And probably the reason we haven't seen it in the wild yet is like as easy, like there's just easier ways, right? If I can just guess with my content moderation upload and I can be right, like why in the world do I need to have a fancy algorithm to, to do it? So as generally security is improving for systems in general to plug some of these guess and check methods, which in my opinion will never go away, there will be more economic incentive to have a kind of a surefire algorithmic way to do this for adversaries. I do not know if that's going to happen in the next year or in the next five years, but economically speaking, if we're doing our job as defenders, that is something in the tool bag that exists is open source and that they will reach for when that becomes the lowest hanging fruit. This feels like a unique point in time for cybersecurity where, and, and, and maybe I'm being too optimistic here, but where we, we do have an opportunity, we, the industry, have an opportunity to sort of get ahead of something before it, before it gets ahead of us. Would you share that sort of optimistic view or do you, do you think we're sort of neck and neck? Yeah, by ahead, I mean, we're thinking about this. And I don't think that adversaries are not thinking about it. I just don't think they have to, to pull up this bag yet, right? So are we ahead? We have an opportunity to be ahead. I guess the concern I have is, like, if, if you feel like you're ahead, you're guessing. You're guessing at a defense for an attack that doesn't exist. That means an attacker is going to choose a different kind of attack. So I would not say that we're ahead. I, I think we have a, an opportunity to be proactive, especially at these higher level questions about how to manage risk. I think we are too early for things like, I'm going to detect this kind of thing right now, right? Like th th those things are maybe a bit premature because kind of by construction, you can't be ahead of a threat in sort of detection or remediation space because they haven't punched you yet. You don't know how to, you don't want to block that one. So I agree with you, Nick, that we have an opportunity to be deliberate in how we frame this problem. And that is an excellent advantage. And when's the last time that's happened? It certainly feels sort of unique, but I'm with you. You can't block the punch that you haven't experienced yet. And so that's uh, probably a great analogy. I'm thinking back to the episode we did with uh, Christian Seifert and Josh Neal and Cyber Battle Sim. You talked about how sometimes attacks on machine learning systems, I think content moderation was your example, the attacker, the adversary doesn't even know that they're attacking against a, a machine learning model. So that's sort of a really interesting perspective, but sort of trying to bridge the gap there with with the, the Cyber Battle Sim conversation. How far away do you think we are from having automated agents, automated sort of AI constructs, which I know is a sort of a fantastical concept, but like how far away do you think where we, we are from actually having machine learning on machine learning going at it to some degree of scale and sophistication? Do you think we're, are you thinking like it's a year, five, 10, 20? What, what, what does that timeline look like? Now, if you mean machine learning versus machine learning 
in a security context for like a breach. Um, I think that's what, yeah. yeah. Believe it or not, like that is here in very narrowly defined things. So an example, I'll bring up Will Pierce. He published some research at his previous company about using machine learning to detect a kind of sandbox that you're in so you know how to act in a piece of malware. And that sandbox might have machine learning employed. Also, there's this um, combative element between them. There's been other work published that has attempted to do things like simple reinforcement learning to choose what kinds of sort of pen testing actions to get into a network that I think the authors would would say is, is not yet mature. I myself have done research in using machines against machines and trying to like a reinforcement learning approach to develop a malware strains that will will evade machine learning model detector. So it's using machine learning against machine learning. In all these cases, they're narrow and there are easier ways, in my opinion, to date to do that. And if uh, you know our listeners are trying to think about kind of, I don't know, if you think about like the Avengers AI <laughs> Jarvis like taking on a big massive scale attack and, and another Jarvis defending it. We are very, very, very far away from that. I think machine learning and AI is best employed today on narrow tasks, sort of this more general artificial intelligence where we're, we're not very mature at all in that larger level reasoning. So I would not raise any alarm about AI systems swarming our networks in mass and, and being effective. I think we're, you know, we're five plus years away from, from that. So we're not going to have a... Uh... Jarvis, breach shield sort of moment anytime soon where that's the only instruction required and then the the next thing you know you you've got root access to to the shield network that's that's a long way away that's right and really the thing that that you should be more concerned about is how machine learning could be used by an adversary to make that human much more efficient and that's actually not a new thing either i mean adversaries are smart they're economically motivated and they they use analysis to be smart about how they attack. Think about like a phishing campaign and who they target. They want to use data to inform them. And I, I wouldn't doubt that there are some machine learning models that would help them to predict who the ripest target might be, for example. Or in, in, in a breach scenario, let me use, for a very narrow scope, let me use an agent to like, you know, if, if I know, to find out what what kind of you know anti malware is installed and what kind of the, decide what the kind of the the best payload would be to evade that computers are really good at that kind of fast quick reflex math and uh, machine learning is, w- would excel at that. I'd be far more you know concerned about real adversary like human adversaries equipped with machine learning that scales their intentions more than I would about like an autonomous act all by itself, AI doing all the hacking on its own. And speaking of the future, what's next? What's your next big mission? The next problem you'd like to solve? Is it continuing to educate the ecosystem on adversarial machine learning? Is it to get us to the point where we are establishing preventative measures or is it something else entirely? Really, it's chasing this goal that while elusive, I do, do not believe is impossible. And that is 
build your machine learning model wherever. And we want to help you to be able to manage that risk and do it in a way that's natural in kind of the same kinds of motions that if you're a security professional, you're used to assessing or or like doing compliance things or doing policy things. If we can do that, as Nick brought up earlier, that can be the beginning, help, help people to begin security programs with AI not as part of an overall security strategy for the business. You know, there, there are these special things you have to consider about AI, but you shouldn't make it its own security department, right? Security is a, a business kind of consideration, and we want to make that easy for you now. Today, it's hard. Today, AI is a special snowflake. We want to make it part of the security network of decisions. I notice you are the co-founder of the Conference on Applied Machine Learning for Information Security, CAMLIS. Can you tell us a little bit about CAMLIS, uh, if, if you would like to? And then is there anything else you'd sort of like to point listeners to? Do you have a blog? Do you have a Twitter? Where can we go to play along at home with, with your work? So CAMLIS, the Conference on Applied Machine Learning and Information Security, was founded by Keegan Hines and myself several years ago because we didn't find that right venue that was a mix Really, it's for machine learning people doing security things. And those would surface at major conferences, but there was never a place you could go for like a sink your teeth in kind of experience. And I, have, I am just so thrilled with the community that has developed around Camelus and the quality, the people there. And so for anybody who would be interested in how machine learning is used in security, or maybe you're in machine learning and uh, you want to learn a little bit more about security. This is a great place that has still a, it's still a boutique conference in the sense that there's not 3,000 people there where you can network. It's a great location. That will be happening later this fall. I want to shout out to uh, Edward Raff, who will be chairing the conference this year. And you can find out more information in the coming months about that. The second thing I want to give a shout out to, and this is much sooner, happening much sooner. For the last several years, a partner, Zoltan Balash, and I have been sponsoring a really clever competition that you're all going to want to participate in. So if you like hacking things, and if you like malware, and you like machine learning, this is for you. This is the Machine Learning Security Evasion Competition. You get prizes for attacking machine learning models to create evasive malware variants. This is as real as it gets. So it's real malware. The malware is actually bytes on disks. So you're t- you're, you, you tickle the bits. You don't get to change code. You tickle the bits and you get to disguise your malware or the malware we provide rather to evade a suite of defensive solutions. And this attracts a really, really really gnarly smart crowd of people who are good with both malware and machine learning and do it in really clever ways. Even if you're not a malware reverse engineering ninja, there'll be ways for you to participate and still evade machine learning models. And and I will will leave that there. If you'd like to know more about any of this, please do reach out to me. Twitter, I will respond to Twitter eventually. Um, Dr. (laughs) Hiram is my handle. Or on LinkedIn, you can find me also. If you've heard about the announcement for the Machine Learning Security Evasion Competition, you can head over to mlsec.io. 
Hiram, what do you do for fun when you're not out there on the frontier of adversarial machine learning? Nick, uh, you don't know this about me, but I am the most interesting man alive. And <laughs> Oh, no, I knew that. Ram told us this. <laughs> hey, so first, I have five kids. So caveat that that free time expression with knowing that I'm primarily a bus driver and uh, an entertainer. <laughs> but um, so I, I live in Boise, Idaho. I grew up on a hobby farm and I, I'm lucky enough to be able to work uh, in a distributed manner. But my folks still have this farm that has like a milk cow. So my COVID hobby, I make artisanal cheese. <gasps> yes, I do. Keep talking. Handcrafted, <laughs> handcrafted kude. And some Alpine sort of Swiss style cheeses have a little cheese cave. Also, our viewers can't see this, but in the background, you'll, you'll notice like a little accordion. And uh, I was a missionary for my church in Russia. And, you know, we, I didn't have a lot of money, but I could spend $8 and buy that sweet puppy. <laughs> As it turns out, when you have one accordion, they're like, they're like amoeba on a Petri dish. They just multiply. I now have three accordions. And the total amount of money I've spent on accordions is $8. Hang on, you woke up one morning and your um, your accordion had divided and split into two accordions? <laughs> yes, it's amazing. It's more like the neighbor's like, oh, weird nerd with accordion. And I have something in my garage I'm trying to get rid of. But it, it, it brings such a thrill to me to have three accordions. Kids love accordions. And I am one of the most popular person with like elementary school kids like who doesn't like happy birthday played <laughs> on the accordion to them like that never happens anymore i do love a sort of an accordion-y powered shindig you know a polka <laughs> or a, that's beautiful awesome thank you for sharing that and thank you for joining us on the show today hiram thank you natalia thank you nick great to be with you Well, we had a great time unlocking insights into security from research to artificial intelligence. Keep an eye out for our next episode. And don't forget to tweet us at MSFT Security or email us at securityunlocked at Microsoft.com with topics you'd like to hear on a future episode. Until then, stay safe. Stay secure. This week on the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Podcast, join us as we dig deep into the XZ backdoor with its finder, Andreas Freund, and senior security researcher, Thomas Rochia. Be sure to listen in and follow us at msthreatintelpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.